following resource is from Welford Baptist Church. This is a glorious day, amen? Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. I like that word indeed because that means for sure he did. Welcome to uh, Welford Baptist Church this morning. It's good to see all the faces. Choir, you did a marvelous job. Uh, the breakfast was absolutely great. Thank you for Johnny, you and your class getting up and cooking and serving and all that. It's just a good day. It's a good Easter, don't you think? And you know what? It blessed me to see all the faces up here this morning. It blesses me to see all the other faces out there this morning. You know, with just a little bit of effort, we've done it. A little bit more effort, you're going to fill this place up. You know, let's try that. Let's fill it up. Fill the choir off, fill it up, because we need each other. And God has made us into a family here at Welford. Thank you for coming. If you're visiting, I also extend my welcome to you. And if you are visiting, uh, as Craig said, I'm going to be standing at the door. And if you would, I want to shake your hand and come by and introduce yourself to me. Also, if you brought your tithes and offerings this morning, if you'll just deposit them in the boxes out the exits, we would appreciate that as well. All right. And someone told me uh, that uh, I should say this, Russell. The guitar player, happy birthday. <laughs> and you wore a tie on your birthday. How about that? There you go, man. <laughs> All right. Well, seeing Jesus, seeing Jesus. We're going to look in just a moment about uh, what the Bible says about those who first saw the resurrected Jesus, the Jesus that was dead and is now living. And there was this shock and awe, I'm sure, that day, you know, when he first appeared to all those, that, the ladies, the women at the tomb, the disciples and others that saw him that day. Shock and awe. You ever heard of the Jesus film? This means yes and this means no, Okay. <laughs> You ever heard of the Jesus film? Yeah. Well, it's a film put out by Campus Crusade of Christ, and golly, it's 30 years plus old now, okay? And it was intended to reach the world with the story of Jesus Christ. It's about the life of Christ as Luke presented it in his gospel. And listen to this. It's been translated into 1,803 different languages of the world. 1,803 languages. Can you imagine that? It has been shown over 8 billion times to over 3 billion people. And the results thus far is that 200 million people have given their lives to Jesus Christ. <laughs> amen and amen to that. For many of these people, it's the first time they've ever seen a movie around the world, okay? For many of those people, it's the first time they've heard about Jesus Christ. And I want to share with you about one audience in a remote jungle in a third country world. It was the first time for them they heard the story of Jesus, and it's the first time they'd had ever seen 
a movie in their lives. The missionary packed up the movie projector, the film, and everything else. The generator went way back into the jungles. He and his team set the projector up, and that night uh, the screen was up. They began showing the movie, and the audience was just enthralled. And they loved the Jesus on the movie, the Jesus that was kind, the Jesus that loved children, the Jesus that, that preached and healed and did all these kind of miracles. But then the mood changed when he was arrested and the soldiers began to beat him. And the crowd began to, to wail and to cry and just in, in agony because he was being beaten and scourged like he was. And then when they nailed him to the cross, they went absolutely crazy. And they rose up and they began attacking the missionary. And he was saying, whoa, 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 there's more to come. Sit down. There's more to the story. Sit down and see. And so they sat down. And they began watching once again as he died and he was buried. And when the film came to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the mood absolutely changed. Pandemonium broke out. A party started. They were singing and dancing and shouting and slapping each other on the back in celebration. Cheers and shouts of joy were deafening. And the missionary once again said, hold on, hold on. But he didn't have to tell them to calm down. They were doing exactly what should be done when experiencing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't you think? That's what the children were doing this morning, weren't they? That's what we were doing as we joined in with them. That's what the choir was doing this morning. The story they saw on, on film includes a group of women who came to grieve over the body, the dead body of Jesus Christ. It's what we read in Luke. And I want to take just a few moments to read chapter 24 of Luke so we can refresh our minds of that morning, that first Easter morning. Now, on the first day of the week in that time period, it was Sunday, okay? On the first day of the week at early dawn, the women went to the tomb, taking the aromatic spices they had prepared. And they found that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood beside them in dazzling attire. The women were terribly frightened. Well, amen, I would have been too. And they bowed their faces to the ground. They got on their hands and knees, all right? But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, but he has been raised. Remember how he told you? Remember while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, but on the third day will rise again. And the women remembered the words that Jesus spoke to them about all those events. Now for men and women of every generation, this is what Jesus does, okay? Because these women went out there in grief and sorrow and hurt and, and confusion, all these kind of things. But the Lord Jesus, the risen Jesus, brings hope to replace grief. He brings new life right out of death. And for those who feel hopeless, the Easter resurrection of Jesus is the best news that we could ever hear. 
for you and I. These women, they, they experienced that. They heard the words of the angel. They saw the empty tomb. They had to go tell somebody, so they rushed to the city of Jerusalem, went to the house where the disciples, the 11 remaining disciples, were hiding in fear, thinking they were going to be next to be crucified. They went there to report to them what they had seen. Verse 9 tells us, when they returned from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others gathered there. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, mother the Mary of James, and the other women with them who told them these things to the apostles. But the words seemed like pure nonsense to them. The disciples, the apostles didn't believe them. But good old Peter... Peter got up and ran to the tomb, and he bent down into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen, the grave clothes, laying there, and he went home wondering what had happened. Have you ever told the truth to somebody, and they didn't believe you, or they doubted you? But you knew it was the truth, what you were saying. You were all excited about something. You go to share it, and nobody seems to care. That's a downer, isn't it? For, though, for Jesus to come back to life seems so far-fetched to, to them that day, uh, too far-fetched to believe. It just sounded to them like absolute nonsense. What are you talking about? The dead don't come back to life. But the women went on. Maybe it is true. So on the outside chance, Peter ran to the tomb to see for himself. I think Peter represents all of us because we're naturally skeptical about things, right? The difference is that he was willing to check out the possibility that maybe he did come back alive. Maybe Jesus is alive and, and, and with his doubts that he had. So he went to the tomb and what did he find? It was empty again. Let's pick up now with verse 13. It tells about a couple after the resurrection. They were walking the seven long miles from Jerusalem to their hometown in Emmaus. This was on Sunday. And while they were walking, a stranger came up. And he joined them and began talking with them. And he asked what they were talking about. And they were surprised. Hadn't you heard the news? Don't you know what happened this weekend of, of Jesus of Nazareth who was arrested and tried and crucified and buried and now they're saying he's come back alive that he's risen from the dead today? And verse 18 tells us about the dialogue. Then one of them named Cleopas answered Jesus, are you the only one who doesn't know about all of these things? And they told him what happened. And then they said, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And not only this, but it's the third day since these things happened. And some women came and told us that he's alive. He has risen from the dead. And then some who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see him. Then the stranger shared with them how all of this perfectly fit with the Old Testament prophecies. Man, I'd love to hear him sit down and tell me those things. He explained all the prophecies, all the Old Testament scripture that pointed directly to him. 
And the two men were dazzled by his information and insight, so they invited him for dinner. And during dinner, they suddenly realized, this is no stranger. This is Jesus. It is true. He is alive. And right there eating dinner with them and talking with them. How could it take them so long to recognize and believe that Jesus was right there in front of them? talking with them, eating supper with them. But you know there's been lots of people like Cleopas, like the other one who was there, who can look Jesus in the eye and they don't really sense, they just don't know who he is. We've met people like that. But that's what the Easter story is all about. It's about opening our eyes so that we can see Jesus for ourselves. And these, this, these, these men were so excited, they practically ran back to seven miles to Jerusalem to report what happened to the disciples that were, that were sitting there, that were hiding in that house. And they searched them out and found them. And then everyone was excited. Everyone was talking at one time. And then suddenly... The room grew quiet, and there he was, standing there, the Lord Jesus, not a ghost, not a spirit. You could see his wounds. He ate a piece of fish. That was just like Jesus. He stepped right into their lives and their homes and showed himself up close and personal to them. And when they saw the scars, they jumped for joy and excitement. It was like showing the movie back in the jungle to that tribe when the pandemonium broke out. Those were the people then. I can remember my first pastorate when we were living in Roanoke, Virginia. I was there just two or three years, and God was just blessing me and my family, we, the church. We were just having a good time together. Donnie Arthur, he drove a truck for Kroger Grocery. Just a great, great Christian man. And he came up to me and he said, Pastor, he said, uh, I'm burdened about a good friend of mine. His name is D. D. Thacker. And Dee Thacker is a representative for the union. And uh, Dee's a tough man, former Marine, and living right outside Roanoke in the mountains. He used to run moonshine, cusses like a sailor, always has a big chew of tobacco in his mouth. Tough, tough. He represents union members in court, and he wins just about every, every case that he's in, every trial that he's taking part in, and he doesn't have any education. He's been diagnosed with cancer, and he's not a Christian. Would you go visit him? I said, yeah, yeah, tell me where he lives. And he told me, and he said, well, Pastor, there's one more thing that I need to tell you. He hates preachers. <laughs> I said, okay. So I got in the car the next day and drove down to his house and got out and knocked on the door. Who is it? 
And I said, I'm Howard Foster. I'm pastor at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. I'm a good friend with Donnie. You're a good friend. He wanted me to come see you. Anyway, I finally got in, met him. He was maybe an inch taller than me, about that wide, 62, I think he was, all muscle, all man, tough, tough guy. But this cancer thing had gotten him. We didn't talk about the church. We didn't talk about Christ. We didn't talk about anything that first meeting. I just wanted to know him. I want to know about him. Got him to talking. And we finished. He invited me to come back. And I went back. And I went back. And I went back. And I went back. I love this guy. Came to a point one time where the doctor said, there's nothing more we could do for you. I went to see him in the hospital, and he shouted, get out. I don't want to see anybody. And I left. But not long after that, just a few days, I went to see him again. And this time, we talked about Jesus. This time, like the disciples, he saw Jesus. And he prayed and received him. The next Sunday, he and his wife had been attending church. I didn't tell you that. But the next Sunday morning, I preached, and at the end, I don't even know what I preached about. We played the invitation hymn, and here comes this big, tough ex-Marine union guy coming down the aisle crying like a baby. I presented him to the church, him and his wife. They both came. And the church just went crazy, and we baptized him. And not long after that, Dee died. I preached his funeral. I look forward to heaven, look forward to it more now as I'm getting older, because I'm having more of my loved ones there than I ever had before. I look forward to seeing my parents and grandparents, my brother. I really look forward to seeing Jesus but I really want to see D, and I will, I will. His wife joined and was baptized with him, but I just don't know. Really, about a month later, she just quit coming to church. But I remember D. It was like, in his life, it was like somebody flipped a switch. He didn't care. He didn't believe anything about the Bible, about God, about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord flipped that switch, and his life changed. The Bible's true where it says if anybody be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. He was a new man. And he began reading the Bible every day. And it wasn't because he was dying he had one regret his last days. He didn't become a Christian sooner. Here's his favorite verses. Romans 5, 1 through 8. Therefore, 
since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace through God, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in this, in the hope of God's glory. Not only this, but we also rejoice in sufferings. He suffered. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance character, and character hope. And hope, God's hope, does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at just the right time, God died for the ungodly. For rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person perhaps someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. D, that's for you, bud. Shock and all, but then it turns into the greatest value of our lives. You remember when you saw Jesus for the first time? I mean, really, really saw him? Hmm? Remember when Jesus stood face to face with you? What did you feel? Was there joy? Was there relief? Was there a new hope in your heart? Because you believed in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, your sins were forgiven. You were saved. You have a home, had a home in heaven. If you're a Christian, I dare say this is what you value now. You value your salvation, right? But there was a time where you didn't, and you didn't value that because you were lost. That's a Christian term, okay? Lost. Obviously, one cannot be saved unless he or she was previously lost. Search and rescue teams don't rescue people or don't look for people who are at home watching TV, do they? Lifeguards at the beach don't rescue people who are out there sunning themselves. The Bible clearly communicates that every one of us starts out lost. Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. In order to be lost, we must be lost from something or we must be lost for someone. And the Bible explains that we were all lost from God because of sin, our sin. Think of a time when you were lost and you were scared. It may be when you were a kid, I don't know. Again, another Virginia story. My first, my first ministry was a minister of youth at Virginia Heights Baptist Church. Whereas my first pastor was a little country church, my first ministry was a, a downtown church. And the church owned some property up in the mountains right outside Roanoke at a place called Dragon's Tooth. Because it's like climbing a dragon's tooth, that mountain. They had about three Adirondacks, which were three-sided buildings, smout houses, and kids loved to go camping. So one weekend we went camping, took about 30 or 40 kids up there, and they were having the best time. But we always camped and Friday night, and then Saturday we went hiking, went to hike Dragon's Tooth. I'd only taken them a couple of times, and uh, being green, being new, I said, let's go, and we all lined up, and off we went. Coming back... 
somehow or another, I took the wrong trail. And it wasn't long before I began to realize, where in the world are we? This is not familiar at all. And I began, I kept on walking. I wasn't going to share my fear with them, but it was welling up in my heart because it was about 5 o'clock and it was fall and it was going to be really, really dark about 6.30 or so there in the mountains. There's that panic then began to grow in my heart. And then we came into a clearing and there's a big old two-story rickety house, wooden house. Hadn't been painted in years. It was all gray, shutters had fallen off. We walked up to it because smoke was coming out of the chimney. There was a big pile of uh, pork and beans and buying the sausage cans out there. Could tell what the diet was. Knocked on the door and this old, old man came to the door. And he was pretty friendly and I shared with him who we were and what happened we were lost don't know where the trail is he said well you're just about on it all you got to do is go down there and so and so oh man oh man panic went to peace feeling scared went to feeling safe we went on found the trail got back to camp before it got dark but I still remember what it was like to be lost in the woods that day. In a similar, much greater fashion, Christians, you and I who receive Christ and believe in him, we value salvation because we know, we remember what it was like to be lost from God, lost in sin, lost forever. And once we have been saved from that lostness of sin, we value salvation. We should value salvation. But it's easy to take it for granted, isn't it, to become ungrateful. And to gain a proper perspective, we should ask ourselves this. What would I have been like if I had never become a Christian? And probably for each and every one of us in here, we can look at a family member or a friend or co-worker, somebody that's not a Christian and that refuses to become a Christian. And their lives perhaps have become a disaster. Or they at least have no hope for the future. And taking time to imagine that we would, what we would have been without salvation goes a long way toward understanding that wonderful gift of God and being grateful for it. Jesus, the Son of God, God himself came for heaven to take up residence in a human body for the purpose of saving sinners. It wasn't easy. It wasn't cheap. And the only way to do it was at the cost of his own life. And scripture tells us, I lay down my life for the sheep, my sheep, Jesus said. Paul wrote, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Much more is written in the Bible about the cost of salvation, how Jesus' pain and death was the price for our sin in order to save us from an eternal hell. But really to our minds, it's all a wonderful mystery how God could do that. It's far beyond our full understanding. But what I know, what we can know is that we value our salvation because I know it cost Jesus' life. So what is our response supposed to be? 
What are we supposed to do on Easter Sunday morning? What are we really supposed to do every morning and every time that we come together in these walls and respond and to worship as a body of Christ and the family of God? Do you like to watch game shows on TV? You ever watch Family Feud? Or watch the one that comes with Drew Carey? The Price is Right, and somebody wins, they'll win a uh, a big boatload of cash or a car or a vacation to Hawaii, what do they do? Man, they go nuts, don't they? I mean, they're jumping up and down. They're grabbing Drew Carey and kissing him all over and all that kind of thing. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All because they want money, one money or a car or a trip or something that won't last very long. For the Christian. Gratitude is the first and most appropriate response when we get something very good. And since salvation is the best gift we could ever get, the best thing that could ever happen to us, it should lead us to the wildest gratitude possible. That's why I like these kids up here this morning. That's why I like singing with you this morning. It was loud and it was directed to God. We need to thank God a million times and to thank him every day and to sing and to shout and to praise and to worship him for what he's done for you and I. It's unimaginable to me that someone rescued from a burning building would not thank the firefighter that saved his or her life. It should be equally unimaginable for any Christian saved from sin and eternal death not to want to thank God himself for what he's done. Not because we have to, because we want to. We welcome the opportunity. It's our delight to praise and to thank him. Paul said it best. Let me sum up. Colossians 1, we pray that you may live worthily of the Lord and please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good deed, doing good things, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the display of all patience and steadfastness, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share with the saints in heaven. He delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the Son He loves and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Following the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia in 1917, the communists took over. Several years later, Joseph Stalin became the dictator of Russia. And he wanted to absolutely eradicate Christianity from Russia. Peasants in the remotest villages were forced to hear long speeches by communist commissars. They would come and they would denounce Jesus Christ. And instead of Jesus Christ, they would praise Karl Marx and communism. And after one such speech, the commissar sat down, convinced that he had talked all the peasants gathered there in the building that day, convinced them and talked them out of their faith and into atheism. And at first, the assembly was silent. 
And then a Russian Orthodox priest stood up in the back of the assembly and he shouted out, I have one thing to say to you. Christ is risen. And with that, all the peasants in that assembly immediately stood and resoundingly responded, Christ is risen indeed. They'd seen Jesus. They saw Jesus for themselves. They experienced him in their lives and they believed and no one was going to tell them otherwise. Have you seen him? If you haven't, you need to. You need to respond to him in faith and tell Jesus, I believe that you're God's son. I believe that you died for my sin and you arose from the grave. I believe I have sinned. And if you're a Christian, if you just prayed that prayer, we need to go wild and thank God. Pray. Thank him over and over and over and over and celebrate that Christ is risen indeed. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the day. Oh, my, what a great day. The most glorious and greatest day of the, of, of the year, but of, of eternity, of all ages, of all history. It is and always shall be. For, Lord Jesus, by your power, you raised yourself from the dead. You showed yourself to many. You ascended into heaven. And there you are at the right hand of God until you return one day. And you're receiving all of, the, all of us who place our faith and trust in you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saving us. Now bless this time. There may be those here who have never seen you but they've come face to face with you today and now they've got a decision to make and I pray for Jesus they'll decide for you to believe and receive you as Lord and Savior for the rest of us God we need to be back here every Sunday but even more than that every day we need to be grateful people celebrating and expressing our thanks to you for your great gift in Jesus name Amen. We're going to stand and sing. And as we do, I don't know how the Holy Spirit's leading you to respond. If it's to receive Christ, you come and talk to one of us here. If it's something else, we're ministers. We're open to hearing and listening and speaking with you. If you just want to come and pray, whatever it may be, to come and just to kneel and to thank God, do that as we sing. Let's stand together, please. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our church, visit welfarechurch.org. Blessings.